0: You're listening to the Master Photography Podcast. This episode is brought to you by the Create Photography Retreat. Join several hosts on the Master Photography Podcast Network at the third annual Create Photography Retreat, it's going to be in Las Vegas, March 28th to 30th in 2019. We'd love to have you there. Jenny Jenna Martin, a very well-known underwater photographer, is going to be there. She's going to help attendees uh, get into a swimming pool there at the hotel in Las Vegas and have your go at taking portraits of people underwater. An experience you probably will never have the opportunity to have again. So you you really want to get there. To if you've never been around hundreds of photographers, just as passionate as you are about photography, you've got to join us. Early bird pricing has ended, but tickets are still at a really reasonable rate at just $417. So head over there today, createphotographyretreat.com and buy those tickets today. That's createphotographyretreat.com. Welcome to the Master Photography Roundtable, part of the Master Photography Podcast Network. You're joined by thousands of photographers who listen to this show every week and are on the same journey to master their photography. I'm Jeff Harmon, the host for this episode. I'm joined at the roundtable today by my good friend, Brent Bergham. How are you, Brent? Hello. Doing well. Good. So glad to hear it. All right. So, Brent, in this episode... We're going to open up a little bit. We're going to talk about like some mistakes that we've made in the past. Some mistakes yeah. particular to lighting. Um, I, but but before we get there, before we get to that, I'm kind of excited for it. I want I I like kind of talking about that because so many represent themselves as always having been pros, and it's nice I think for people to hear like yeah, even pros make mistakes. We still have challenges. But before we go there. I want you to tell us about what, you're, what you have coming up on the Latitude podcast. It's another podcast here on the Master Photography Network. What's going on with with Latitude?
1: Yeah, we've had several good uh, episodes coming out just recently. I interviewed and talked with the Photog Adventure Guys. That's Aaron King and Brendan Porter. And then also David Long. Those are the two most recent episodes. Uh, episodes i've published and with david long we talked about uh fall and winter shooting in new england and that's just an absolutely gorgeous area up there for you know that the changing of the seasons and you know i I guess any place would be i would characterize as gorgeous but i just know new england is is particularly uh sweet with some of the little towns they have and and the like uh I have a great conversation coming up with Elise Bender. She's uh, a prolific traveler and heading out in a van here for three weeks. And we talked a little bit about that and her uh, recent journeys and other planned journeys she has coming up. And then just today as we're recording this, I actually just earlier today uh, finished up a recording with Richard Burnaby. And he is also going to be at the Create Photography Retreat uh, presenting there. And we had a fantastic conversation about uh, the creative principle and what that means. It's a nice deep dive about what motivates us as landscape photographers and how to deal with a multitude of challenges we face when we're out there shooting. And sometimes things don't work, but also it's all about how to achieve more and do more. And so it's it, there's, there's several different facets that we looked at there. And then finally, in December, I've got a great conversation coming together with a photographer from England. His name is Timothy Allen and he runs the website humanplanet.com and he is basically a, a travel adventure culture photographer who essentially specializes in the far reaches of the planet. So, if you can think about, you know, where could you get to Uh, if you were to hop on a plane and you were to have two or three legs uh, of a flight to get there, well, think about adding a couple of more maybe because he goes way far off the beaten path uh, in many of his uh, assignments and his adventures. So, it'll be an excellent conversation, I think, to have with him on that. And that's happening in December. All right. So, plenty going on with Latitude.
0: Lots going on there. Yeah. All right. So, if you haven't subscribed, I I thought it it was time we kind of profiled a couple of the other shows. Just we haven't done it for a while.
1: Yeah, it's perfect.
0: Yeah, so that that's good. It's it's something to go make sure that they can get there. So, how do they get there? latitudepodcast.com. Is that what it is?
1: Yeah, latitudephotographypodcast.com is the website. And then, if you were to search in your favorite podcatcher, uh, just search for that latitude photography podcast and it will, it should come up there for you. You should also just be able to search my name. You'll find my personal website at my name, and then I've got a link there over to the podcast website. Uh, But also, if you're in your favorite podcatcher, since I'm listed as the author, it should also just pop up there. Perfect. Okay. Um, And
0: I wanted to mention really briefly that Photo Taco is the other podcast that I do. And uh, this, as you hear this, I will have released the latest November episode of Photo Taco. And it's an episode I did with Greg Benz. Greg is awesome. If you've never had a chance to meet Greg... Uh, come to the create photography retreat. It's another person that's going to be there, and he knows like everything there is to know about exposure blending and luminosity masking. So I had him come on the show, and our objective with the episode was to do our best that the best you can in about an hour to answer the question: What is luminosity masking? So if you've heard of that before, and you're like, I don't know what it is, or or maybe you even went so far as you like, you got plugins to try to help you in Photoshop to do lumino- luminosity masking. And then when you went into use, you're like, oh man, I just don't know how to use this thing. I don't know why. Why do, I, why do I care? And especially now that Lightroom has like auto HDR merge and auto panorama features and some exposure blending kind of capabilities. Why do I care? So anyway, we go through all of that in about an hour. So by the time you this episode gets released of Master Photography, that will be over there at or in any of your podcasters, like uh, like Brent mentioned. So be sure to check that out. It's going to be lots of a, a good episode, I think, for for people to check out. Okay, now let's let's get to our actual topic: common lighting mistakes. So, Brent, there was a, a recent blog post. I I saw it get shared by tons of people. I know I know you yeah. shared it on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I saw it several days ago. I shared it on Twitter, and um, it it was a, a post over there. Really. Brief. It wasn't very long. It's a very small post over at Petapixel.com, our friends there. Uh, and I had a picture of someone that made a common lighting mistake. And um, so to set it up, uh, since this is an audio thing and and this is a visual thing we're talking about, right? As the holiday season's approaching, you know, really, really quickly here. Ah, uh, poor Thanksgiving feels like it's being totally ignored. <laughs>
1: you know? I know Walmart <laughs> is just totally skipping over Thanksgiving. Yeah,
0: right? they are. They're like you know, they they tear down like on on October thirtieth. They were getting rid of the Halloween stuff and, right. and putting up the Christmas stuff. And like Halloween's not even done, and poor Thanksgiving's just lost. And anyway. <laughs> The malls are getting ready for this too. They have a lot of work right. to do. They have to, they have to transition their mall over to their Christmas feel. And of course, I mean, it totally makes sense. I understand why the retailers are doing sure. this. It's yeah. the time of year to make their money. It's like, you know, compressed into this last two months of the year. They make most of their money and, and they got to do whatever they can to, uh, to bring that in. So anyway, a photographer was walking through their local mall. As they're making this transition and they were getting the site set up for where Santa's going to be. Obviously, they're, I, they're probably a ways away from that actually taking place, but right. they're going to have the option to have as the, as the parents are in there shopping and maybe have their kids with them. One of the things they can do is have the kids go stand in line and, and go get a picture with Santa. So they have this setup that's there for taking photos with Santa and being indoors, they're going to need lighting. They're going to need that to be set up right. And they made a mistake, so it was really funny the way that the the picture got taken. And um, you know, after you've done this yourself, it's it's really kind of obvious. But right. Brent, why don't why don't you set up kind of what was the mistake? Describe in a lot of detail sure. what yes. it is.
1: Yeah. So they and one thing I also want to because I did put it in our Facebook group, and I almost didn't share it because there was a a sense of me that's like you know I'd really this is kind of comical. That's my point I'm trying to take with it. But I also don't want people to just feel bad and be like, well, I did that too. You, know, right, you, just, right. you it, it, Don't kick me while I'm down kind of a thing. And that's totally not my point, but I understand we might feel that way. Um, so, I'm really glad to actually be able to talk about this because this is definitely something that if you're in a hurry or whatever, a mistake can happen and you just got to you know, you, you got to slow down sometimes or, or whatever it is. So, what happened was the, the photo was taken from above. So, it's like they were on the second level of the mall and and they were looking downward into this area where Santa uh, Workshop or whatever is being set up where all these pictures are going to be taken. And so, they had a really nice uh, studio light. They had an Alien Bees studio light, which are – those are the style of lights that I use uh, here at the school. And when – they, when you set it up, you have this thing, uh, being that it's a studio light, it's on top of the stand. It's, you know, going to be up however how you set it. In this case, I would guess it was probably in the neighborhood of eight feet up in the air. And usually what you end up doing is, uh, you'll have two modifiers on it. The first modifier they call a cone and that attaches pretty much directly to the unit itself. And it's this aluminum cone, uh, for the policy buff stuff. It's, it happens to be seven inches across. I think it is. So, um, it just directs all the light in a forward direction. Uh-huh. And so you got to have that cone there. Otherwise, the light just scatters as a bare bulb and it just goes everywhere. So so we have that one set properly. But then, what they didn't have set properly was, in this case, the light was aiming right towards the setup where Santa would be sitting. And then the umbrella was attached in the, on the reverse. So the umbrella was behind it. And so what the point is to say okay let's take that light and let's focus it with that cone up into the umbrella and then the umbrella will spread it out in this fashion where it's um where it's a lot softer but it's also still going to be very focused in this one direction yeah and and it's not going to just scatter everywhere else well you know they were using an umbrella without using an umbrella because <laughs> right. there's no light going into the umbrella and and it just, you know, it's just kind of funny uh, to see a setup like that. And just like, you got to scratch your head and say, you know, that umbrella is doing no good at all uh, <laughs> because this is not a rain umbrella. And we're obviously inside. Um, and so, it's just doing no good at all uh, as far as adding to the quality of the light and dispersing that light in a fashion for which it was designed. Right, and, right. and it's just like, oh my goodness, this is, you know, hopefully – Someone catches it before they start shooting because then you're going to get the harsh shadows and and all that stuff that you get with a, a relatively bare bulb. But well, it's just again we we have that cone that's focusing the light forward, but uh, it's still just going to be a really harsh lighting. And so yeah, that's the setup. And someone uh, thought they would post it online, and Petapixel picked it up, and you know just, it just kind of runs from there. Yeah, and, and this is a a reflector umbrella, so it's the the kind that's like the. The
0: black on the part that you see, the outside is black, and on the inside, it's all the silver. You can get some that have gold or other colors, too, but probably yeah. silver on the inside. It's not in the picture. You can't tell. But that that's the whole purpose of it, is to try to take what is a very small, tight, powerful light source and spread it out. Make it a nicer, softer, less harsh. So, it, it's actually kind of the two thing. I didn't think of it at the time until you, you provided the description, but it 's actually kind of even worse because you have the cone on on the light right, so that 's even further focusing it down to this really tight beam of light that 's going to be so harsh when it hits the subject and make right. these deep, deep shadows and um, and so that would be a, a massive problem i 'm sure you know most likely they they hired some kid or something to go set this up. And they barely can figure out how to put the thing on the stand and the umbrella in the stand, let alone, you know, know that they need to point the light into the umbrella. Right, so I'm I'm sure they're gonna you know they won't be taking pictures before they figure that out and you know the photographer like oh wait we got to flip those around <laughs> you got to turn that light so it's actually pointing into the umbrella instead of pointing at the
1: subject so that the umbrella is gonna reflect the light back but it, but that's the kind of conversation you kind of wish you could be there to yeah, witness right. and you you can see the the light you know turn on or the you know the flip the switch gets flipped in that person's brain it's like oh yeah. <laughs> Oops. Well, and,
0: and it just brought back memories to me. Like when I very, very first tried to do some flash, that's like the, one of the most inexpensive setups you can get. Now, the Alien Bees are expensive, but you get a nice, uh, you know, Young Newell is a very inexpensive kind of flash. I put it on a really inexpensive, I got everything was as cheap as I could get it because I was just sure. testing this out. I was just trying to see what's it like? How does this work? And, you know, so I set up the light stand and I, I, uh, you know, and, and then it it was that same moment. Like I was like, wait a minute. I, I'm sure I set it up exactly the same way, not thinking about it. I was just putting stuff on the, like put the flash on the stand, put the umbrella in. And then I looked at, I was like, no, that's not right. (laughs) That's not going to work. That umbrella doesn't do anything. So, you know, have to figure out how to turn the umbrella around and get it in the right way. And, and so it's, it's a super common kind of mistake and, and something that's, that's, it's comical if, if you can take it that way. And I'm hoping that a lot of people will be like, yep, there's just someone else that has to learn the same lesson that we all went through of how yeah. you set this up. And, and yeah. we want to, I want to go through a bunch more of those. The, the theme, the topic that came to mind when I saw that I chuckled because it made me remember my own mistake and, and going through that process. And then, uh, and then I thought, you know, that would be, that'd make a good episode if we went through other, Lighting mistakes that we've made over our time, and I'm I'm probably more recent in remembering them than you are, Brent. Because <laughs> I'm uh, I've started this not very long ago, and I'm I'm still making tons of lighting mistakes. I'm still learning. Uh, someday I hope to be on par with with Connor and Erica and the and beautiful you know studio work that those guys do but for now i'm i'm making progress and i'm getting better every time i set out to do it every shoot i i do i i, I learn something and get better at it and it's fun it's part of what i enjoy about it absolutely all right so that the first mistake on our list was the light isn't even using the modifier. (laughs) It was pointed away from the modifier. Yeah. And so, it does nothing. That umbrella may as well not have been there. It's not going to do anything. It's not in the path of the light. It's not affecting the light. Therefore, it's not even a modifier at that point. It was a decoration, really. (laughs) Right. Which is not something you'd care about in a Christmas studio setup as an umbrella on a light stand. That's... That's not good decoration. Um, so, so that's the first mistake: the light not using a modifier. The, the next one that I wanted to talk about that came to mind really fast, and and this was one a mistake that I made a lot. I I really didn't understand it for a long time, and I I believe it wasn't until I I took some training class that that specifically pointed it out. Some video training that I had that specifically pointed it out, and I went oh. I didn't realize that was something I needed to watch out for. So here here's what the the mistake is that I I know I made a lot. Um and it's it's not not having the light fill up the modifier. So here's here's the setup. Um I would get a flash on a light stand and then I was going to use uh, the shoot through umbrella was the one that that com- came to mind first. I went there before softboxes just because of cost. They're really inexpensive to get a very big shoot through umbrella. And so the, the shoot-through is, is the white uh, kind of transparent-ish sort of umbrella. And it does a good job of making your little tiny flash that's coming out of the end of that flash unit into this really big light source and can make very nice lighting on your your um, subject, your, your model. And so I was making the mistake of getting the two things as close together as i could not because i wanted like it wasn't any modifier reason it wasn't because i thought that was how the umbrella would work the best it was purely because again i'm using very inexpensive equipment i have a very inexpensive light stand that means they're very thin they're they're really not all that durable they're easy to get set up to tip over if you get some weight on the top they don't they don't stay up and, and the slightest breeze yeah, can take just, it down so quick, right. yeah. And then I'm attaching a six foot, <laughs> six foot
1: wide umbrella. That's that's huge. Yeah, it's massive. So <laughs> oh so this this really big umbrella, and I, <laughs> I, I thought with a, with a with a hot shoe flash.
2: Is yeah, this? yeah. So that's I, awesome. And
0: I just think, oh my gosh, this is gonna just tip this thing over. I could tell just by, before I even tried to put it on. This, it just made sense. Like this is going to just tip this poor little light stand over. So I stuck the umbrella on first and I pushed it all the way down as far as I could. The stem of the umbrella into the stand as far as I could. Just for stability purposes, I thought that, that's going to make it so this thing won't fall over. Then you mount the flash. so I, And I did point the flash to the umbrella. So that at least I got that part done. Yes, yes. And, uh, and then I started using it. And, you know, it was fine. I, I made use of it. It definitely added to the, the portraits that I was taking and, and I was enjoying that. But what I didn't realize was... I, it, it, by, because I made the flash and the umbrella, the distance between the two, so narrow, so small, they were so close together, pretty much as close as I could get them together. It turned my big six foot wide umbrella that should have made this beautiful big light source modifier, uh, into this little maybe two foot, three foot at the most kind of, of modifier, because that's all that would, the flash would, Would expand that light, would expand on that umbrella before it kind of passed through the modifier. And so it it really changed, it limited it. I may as well have had a a tiny, tiny little umbrella on there uh, because they were too close together. What I I figured it out later, again, I saw it in, in a video training class. To, to that, you really want to get those probably as far apart as, as is practical without tipping over the light stand. That still would have been a problem. And, uh, or at least to the point where, and you could even do some test shots of the umbrella itself and make sure that it's filling the umbrella. Like it's, yeah. the light is spreading out all six feet of the umbrella and, and make sure that, that it's, it's set up that way. And then it becomes a much nicer light source for your, your portrait work. And I, I made that mistake a ton. <laughs> I I shot, I shot for a long time with that same setup before realizing that that was gonna be, be a problem. The same idea is there for other modifiers. When their objective for the most part is trying to spread the light out, make a bigger light source. And we're, we're gonna talk a little bit in a second about why that is. But that's, that's their purpose is to spread the light out as far as you can make it and turn it into a softer, um, nicer light source for your portraits. Same thing then for soft boxes. The difference is a soft box is really kind of forcing you to have the, the flash be the right distance away from the end of the soft box because right. of the way they're manufactured there. There's a... a there's specific ends to it. You don't have the the umbrella stem kind of thing there to to push into the light stand and choose yourself how far apart those things are. They're kind of pre-made so that it works that way. And octaboxes, all all the most of the other modifiers that you'd use are are going to work that way. Where it's it's kind of predetermined, pre-manufactured, and so you you won't really make this mistake. Um, but you could do things like you know add a cone to it,
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: and and that would. Make a yeah, that would change it so that it wasn't. You're not filling the softbox or the modifier to to the fullest extent.
1: Well, and a softbox too, or an octabox, whether it's a rectangle or an octabox, what have you, uh, it is a fully enclosed unit, and the the interior is usually some kind of silvery foil, right, right. and so you also have that benefit too. To say if it's not perfectly you know, uh, spreading out the light, that extra foil in there that helps spread out even more. So, you have this panel of light that's generally fairly well lit. But you're right. You don't have a choice of saying, okay, I want a shallow softbox or a deep softbox with the same unit. If you're going to do that, you're going to buy a different unit. Right, right. Because softboxes aren't like that. Whereas the umbrella, yeah, you just slide it in or slide it out wherever you stop it you need to that that's where it's going to be set and that's I think you had mentioned you know to just pull that back out a little bit so your your flash fills that umbrella shape that's basically what you want to do at least to begin with get get your starting point there now with a 6 foot umbrella you know that might still be a little big because if you <laughs> yeah. have if you have such a small light yep it might be that your light just simply isn't going to be strong enough anyway because you're going to be uh, spreading it out ac- across this huge, effectively a huge panel, and it just may not be powerful enough anyway. Right. Uh, when when I'm doing an umbrella with a, a flash like that, you know, I'm probably in the neighborhood of an 18 to 24-inch umbrella, which really, depending on your subject, you know, if you have a single person, it's probably okay. If you have a, a small group, well, you know, two people maybe, um, you want something maybe a little bigger probably just to help spread that that light across those two people a little more evenly. Right. And, and, um, but yeah, that throwing it all the way in like that. Yeah. You're just wasting umbrella real estate basically is what that is. Yeah. And and I'd heard the advice. The reason I bought the shoot
0: through umbrellas because I had heard at some point, somebody recommend like, this is a really inexpensive way to add some flattering soft yeah. light to to portraits i thought perfect oh, it totally this is, is a yeah great way to try this out this is perfect i just didn't have any idea that i wasn't actually using it correctly and and then if i used it outside and I, I don't i i mainly did this like in my basement here playing around with my kids and stuff so it wasn't a big sure. deal but um I, the thought occurred to me too like as i was trying to mount this big umbrella on this really shaky light stand like I, this would not work outside just it plain won't work if there's any kind of wind it's, this thing's falling over for sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I could do sandbags. And that's another thing I thought of. I got to get some sandbags then so I can try to hold this thing up. But the way I was using it, I was adding that problem to the equation when it wasn't even helpful. Yeah. I, I, I got the big one because I had heard the bigger, the better, right? The The more it right. spreads out, the better it's going to be, the softer the light's going to be. Yeah. And then because of how I was using it, it wasn't any better. I may as well have used it. I had all the negatives of having a very big umbrella and I wasn't leveraging it. So it's why we want to talk about things like this. And I wish there was episodes. I didn't hear enough of this as I was learning. Sure. I, I wish there were more. And that that's what I'm trying to bring to the to the podcast here is... Uh, you know, stuff that I remember and stuff that I'm still going through that I wish people would talk about more because it just doesn't seem like they they go through their own shortcomings. It's hard to talk about shortcomings, I guess. But that's
1: well, yeah. yeah, it it really is. And another thing to think about on this idea, too, is, well, there's, I guess, two extra ideas. And that is, when using an umbrella, most of the mounts that you can attach the umbrella to and your hot shoe flash, uh, it still doesn't get the, the light source close to the center of the umbrella. And that's something I don't like about that setup, um, because you still have the height of the, uh, of the flash, you know what's that going to be? About eight inches on some flashes, uh, to where the light, this light source is off center by eight inches, and so that can be an issue you want to think about too. And that's one thing where you have the studio lights. At least with the Alien Bees, you get it a lot closer to that central core of of, of where the light source is. But you can also set that umbrella too far out. Uh-huh, sure. So let's say this person at the Sanda's workshop thing. Let's say they did set it up properly. But they uh, put the um, they put the umbrella too far out. And so with that cone to help uh, force that light into the direction of the umbrella, that's a good thing, of course. But then you might not still be taking advantage of all of that light. And some of it could be shining up above on the wall behind them. And that's just wasted light. So you would have the opposite effect happening where you're not bouncing back enough of the light simply because you set that umbrella too far away so the opposite can also be true right
0: which is why that's my recommendation is is so you can learn and, and really see what it's like go put your camera right in front of that umbrella with the flash on and ready to go uh, change your exposure down so you you know go go faster shutter speed so you can actually see it instead of a big ball of light you can see what's happening and and watch how it's you know filling or not filling that umbrella Um, When I finally did that, I I finally decided to try that out after I had heard someone say, you probably got it too close and you're reducing how effective it is. Maybe it was Erica uh, at some point. Anyway, um, I I went and did that. I took a picture of the umbrella as, as it was being lit up by the flash. And then I could see wow, <laughs> it's yeah. not, it is not being lit. Or like you said, if it's too far away, then you're gonna not, uh, have as much power coming out of the Cor- modifier yeah. as you'd want. You're, you're losing some of the effect of the light. So you really kind of have to figure out where, where you should stick it, um, how, how far in and out you should put it. And, uh, so, so it'll, it'll work that way. So it that's, it's really good. Mm-hmm. All right. We're going to take a quick break here to thank an episode of this uh, or make a sponsor of this episode. (laughs) Easy for me to say.
2: If you're anything like me and you're looking for a professional printing service to turn your photos into canvas prints, you want someone who's reliable, who's using the highest quality canvas and who is affordable. Well, good news. Royal canvas is all three of those things. They print in 11 colors, use premium canvas that doesn't crack when it's stretched and they ship super fast usually within two or three days of ordering Plus, if you ever need to contact them, you'll be talking to a real person who can help you out with accurate information and resolve any problems quickly. With Royal Canvas, you're getting a premium quality canvas, archival ink, and an expert stretch. So go ahead and give it a try. Go to royalcanvas.com slash master and you'll get 40% off of a single canvas print and an additional 10% off of poster or metal prints. Or if you'd like a sample, feel free to email service at royalcanvas.com and they'll send you a free canvas color swatch. That's royalcanvas.com/slash master for 40% off of a single canvas print and an additional 10% off of poster or metal prints.
0: Okay, Brent, we have a few more mistakes that we've made that I want to go over. Another couple from me, and then we have one from you. Next one that I wanted to talk about was putting the flash and the modifier too far away. And I know Connor and Erica have talked about this a ton. Uh, here on the podcast and also on uh, portrait session, they've gone over this a lot. But I, I thought it was worth repeating for people who may be new. And um, you know, as we, as we talk about common mistakes, I can imagine people on the Facebook group saying, "You didn't talk about the, being too far away." So yeah, yeah, right. We have to add it. So so here's the next mistake. And I, the I, another reason I wanted to mention this one was because. I still struggle with this. Like in my head, this still does not make sense to me. I've got all the evidence. I've seen why it's true. I've got experience now where I know it's true and I'm going to teach people that this is how you have to do it. But in my head, it just (laughs) does not connect. Um, maybe a little bit like Aperture is for a lot of people, especially as they're first starting with the whole concept that okay, the lower the number, the more light gets in. It just is weird, this relationship because it's an inverse right. relationship and and hard for people to get. Um, and I think it's, it's a counterintuitive thing and why I know I made this mistake constantly as I was getting started and I still have to really think through it (laughs) as I'm setting up lighting and I I hope it's going to someday become more automatic like aperture became for me. But, um, I, I, I still have to deliberately think about this and that is that you want to get that light source as close as you possibly can to the model. And that just doesn't feel right. It just seems like, wait, you're going to have this big, bright light right next to their face. That's going to look terrible. That's, that's how you'd think. And okay, yes, if you had your flash up at full power, yes, it's going to be terrible. You won't even see their face. It's going to be so bright. It's going to just blow out. Um, but that, that's the whole concept and, and really why it makes it as big a modifier as you can get As, as spread out of the light as you can get, as, as close as you can get, then you turn the power down to the point where it's the right levels for the situation. And that's going to just add the light in a very flattering way. This is what they talk about when, when Connor and Erica talk about soft lighting. It, this is what the, the look that they're talking about. And maybe why it is that the, the professionals can get it. Because it's so counterintuitive and, and harder for people to figure out how to get a similar setup going. So, um, the, the whole, when we say soft light, we're talking about the transition from kind of the brightest part of the face over to the places where the light isn't going to be hitting them. So if you have the light from, let's say it's going from the right to the left on the model. Then the right side, of course, is going to be brighter. And on the left side of, say, the nose and part of the mouth, chin, or areas where there's, there's things to block the light. Um, on the face on the left is going to have some shadow. And the, the goal is to try to make those transitions between the light and the shadow as smooth as possible. We don't want like hard edges to happen there. That's what we're talking about with harsh lighting. And the thing that makes harsh lighting is, a modifier being a ways away and very bright and that's going to produce harsh harsh edges on the model and that's of course lighting we see constantly you see as you pe- walk, see people out on the street at midday when the sun is is right on you there's harsh edges on all, all their faces we're very used to seeing it it looks very normal so it doesn't make it necessarily a terrible photo But it's kind of more associated with kind of a snapshot. We can instinctively tell that this is one that is was not a professional photo because it looks like the lighting we see on people all the time. And our goal as portrait photographers is trying to make it look like a professional photo, something different than you get from taking your cell phone out and snapping the photo. So getting that light modifier as close as you possibly can is the mistake I made the mistake of moving it away? In particular, what I would do is I'd have it at some you know arbitrary thing. I, I would just I have to start somewhere, so I'd set up the light somewhere, thinking, okay, I'm going to start here, and and we'll take a test shot and see what happens. So I take the test shot, and if it was like way too overpowered and not the look I was I wanted, like their, their face was too bright. I would try to take the flash power down some and then I I usually get at a point where I was like, okay, there's the flash power is not getting me where I want to go. If I take it down, it's too weak. If I take it up to one level, um, it's too strong. So I got to move the light and I would always move it further away. (laughs) Right. I thought that's what I had to do was it's too strong. Uh, I can't take the flash power down because then it's not enough. So my, my next, I'm just move it further away. And then, and then we're going to be good. And I do that. And I would probably moved it way too far away. And now the flash power was a problem again. And I had to increase the flash power. And I'd play this little game, moving the light around and flash power. And I, I didn't have like a good way to determine how to do it. And part of the problem was that the objective I had was not getting that light as close as I could to the model. That helped me immensely when I figured that out.
1: Yeah, absolutely. If your goal is soft light, you definitely have to move closer in. And one thing that I tell my students when they're first learning this concept about the size of it is to say it's it's about the size relationship between your your uh, your modifier, your light source and your modifier and what it is you're shooting. So, if what it is you're shooting is an adult human, you know, there's a certain, you know, category of size that we can paint for for ourselves in our head with that. And then it's all about what is the size of the light accordingly. So, if I were to take a light source that was the exact same size as as a human head, you know, you're not going to have, I don't care how close you get it to that person, you're not going to have, there's going to be some areas where Unless it's right on the camera axis, you know, coming straight from the camera, there's going to be some areas where you're just going to have those deep, dark shadows and you don't have any of that wraparound that you're talking about. But then what I tell uh, the students is to say, you know, what's the biggest light source that we can ever even think of? And I lead them to think about the sun. Right. You know, the sun is gargantuanly huge, but it's 93 million miles away. So, it's (laughs) a speck. Right. Right. And therefore, relationship-wise, as it relates to the size relationship of of the subject, it is tiny. It's going to give you harsh shadows unless there's something really close like clouds, which diffuses that light. And so, we're just doing that same idea in the studio when you have that little tiny uh, intensity of light coming from that flash unit. And then your soft bank or your umbrella or something along those lines, those are going to be your diffusing panel. If you get that closer in, yes, you get a softer light and it can probably have that wraparound feel so you don't have those harsh edges. You don't have those uh, super deep shadows, you know, especially if someone like, has super deep eye sockets and you don't want to emphasize that. You really want a soft light so it it it, it reduces that contrast between highlight and shadow areas. Yeah. Okay. So just to review, we have our, our three that we've covered so far.
0: You got to make sure the light modifier is actually in the path of the light yep. <laughs> instead of pointed <laughs> away. The second one was you got that light modifier too close to the flash and it's not actually filling up the modifier. We want to spread it out. We want that modifier to make the light as big as we can get it. And you're going to not do that if it's too close. And then the last, the, the third one here was... Putting that entire setup far away is is going to make it not not do what you want. It needs to be as close as you can possibly get it. Make that light as big as spread out as we can get it, and yeah. then start playing around with the flash power.
1: And. and- And certainly, with the exception of the first one, I would say there's certainly going to be exceptions to to these ideas. Sure. Uh, That first one, though, let's face it, like you said, it's just decoration if you're putting it (laughs) behind the light source itself instead of between the light source and the, uh, in this case, it should have been like a shoot-through umbrella, I guess. But yeah. Yeah.
0: You're absolutely right. There are, there's learning the rules is a good thing so you know when to break them. A good example of that and something that I I do more of than anything is when you're shooting athletes, they want to have this really tough kind of look Sure. And the, the the nice little gentle transitions from light to dark on the face, that's not what they're after. They want like harsh shadows and edgy and show off their muscles and yeah.
1: <laughs> so, intense stuff. Yeah,
0: intense kind of lighting. And that's where you want to get. You on purpose want to try to get to a little bit harsher lighting on them so that they, they look athletic and showing off the, the work they put into themselves to become the athlete they are. So that's a good example of breaking the rules here, but in general, these are mistakes. Okay. Uh, The next one I had is going to sound kind of funny. This one's way more trivial, (laughs) but uh, I, and and people may disagree. You may, you may think, no, this is not how I want to do it. And that's just fine. So it's a mistake I made for me. I don't know if it's going to be a mistake for everyone. I'm the kind of person I, I turn off every notification I can. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> my phone is always on silent. Like never do I have it on. Um, I have other ways like the, the phone vibrates in my pocket. I have a watch that vibrates when I get a phone call. Um, I But I, I even turned off like notifications. I, I don't want it to ding or vibrate with text messages or Facebook posts or all the way. You can be inundated with notifications these days with all the stuff that's going on with your phone. And I turn it all off. I, I don't want uh, it. I concur. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, absolutely. <laughs> so so when I got my flashes out when I first got them I actually read through the, the manual first. I had no idea how to operate these things, so I had to go figure it out, and I thought reading the manual... It turned out the manual wasn't as helpful to figure out how to operate them anyway. At least the young new old flashes I started with, because they're from China, and they don't do a good job with <laughs> describing how to yeah. use the flashes in their manuals. But the one thing that I did notice out of it, or I pulled out of that manual, was you could turn off the sound. And everyone's heard these, I'm sure. You've, you've had portraits taken of you, or you've been using flashes, and when you Pop the flash. There's a little whiny sound that comes out. It's pretty annoying, actually. I hate the sound itself. Um, and when it's done whining, then that is the indicator to tell you that the flash is ready to be popped again. And so I thought, well, I don't want that on. I hate notifications. I hate these noise things. I want to make the experience the best I can make it for my clients. I want. I'm going to turn that off. So I went through every one of my flashes and I turned off the sound. And uh, and then I. After the shoot I did, I, very, I realized I need to make sure that's on. <laughs> and that's because yeah. I need that indicator to tell me it's safe to push the shutter button again and get the flash to, to pop with the same power that I just took the one before. And that's what I noticed when I, when I was done with my shoot and I didn't have the sound on on the flashes. I had lots of photos where the flash was not recycled. The, it hadn't had enough power or time to pull the power from the batteries and the capacitors of the flash so that it could actually pop the flash at the power I had it set at. And that's the, again that's what the whine that happens after you sh- after you pop the flash tells you when it stops whining it's ready to pop at f- at the power you set it at. And uh and that was a problem. So that was to me a massive mistake and I I have had the flash whine on ever since because I want to make sure that there and and it's interesting too because um, I, I may have used flashes one more than another, uh, at a shoot and not change the batteries out. So you may have one flash that is at a, at one power level, like the batteries inside are getting maybe, maybe they're half used or something like depleted at this point. So then the recycle time is going to be impacted. They're not putting out enough as much power as quickly and the the recycle time, it gets slower. So I have them all on. And if I'm using two, three, four flashes. They're all going to whine differently. Um, even if they're fully fresh batteries, they, they don't all charge, recharge at exactly the same recycle time. So it's good. That I have them all on when all of them are done whining. I know I'm ready to, to then take my next shot. And it's, it's not, it's not so disturbing to a client. Everyone kind of expects it. So it's not a big deal. Yeah. I thought I was saving them, you know, I thought, well, that would be just a little bit better experience. But to me, that was a mistake that, um, I, I, would guess a lot of people make and don't understand why we want those to go to have that sound
1: i've i've totally done that too uh it, when you're in the middle of a shoot and you're just kind of going in that expression and you're just popping off all these things and then you get into the computer afterward and you look at it and you're like well Those three shots, you know, it's half the exposure. You know, it's just not as bright as the other ones. It's because you didn't wait for that recycle time for that capacitor to fully charge up. And that's really disappointing. So, yeah, being able to have that notification that says, okay, I'm ready to go now. Yep. uh, That's, that can be really good. And then it can force you to slow down too. Or like you had mentioned, if your batteries are part way out, you're just like, you know what? I need to have better performance. Change out those batteries and move on with life. Uh, One other thing that these uh, policy buff uh, alien bees do, I personally don't have experience with other lights. So this isn't intended to be a commercial for them. (laughs) It's just, that's just what I end up using, but they actually can do the same thing without the noise. uh, They will, they have this thing called a modeling light. And that is uh, a regular, you know, full on light. That's not a flash that is always on, or you can tell it to be on. Uh and so that will give you a certain feel for how the the flash will behave so you can look at the model and say okay this is the the position of the light this is how the quality of the light that i'm going to get when the flash pops uh so it will turn off the modeling light when it's recharging and then when it's uh ready to go it'll turn the modeling light back on yeah and so that's another way of of doing the same idea so you know that you're ready to go, you have full capacitor and you're gonna get the same exposure and not darker exposure because that would could potentially, you know, that would be my keeper, but you know it's underexposed. <laughs> right. Right. Didn't get the full power because it wasn't yeah. recycled yet. Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. Uh we have two more. One more that I had, then we'll have you share yours, Brent. So the last one that I thought of was a very common mistake I was making is turning the flash power too high. And really, this is a mistake that resulted from the others that we've talked about, the yeah. ones that we've already gone through. Um, because I, I was finding... I was I was ending up at full power on the flashes mm. a lot. And I yeah. realized after getting more experience with it, like, yeah, that shouldn't happen. <laughs> Even on the, the young that where the flash output is not uh, as big as it is on some other bigger flashes, more expensive flashes. Uh, being at full power, unless you're out in the midday sun and you you really have to overpower the sun to get the effect you want, that's probably too much. You probably you have something else that's wrong in the setup if if you're at full power and needing more, which is where I was ending up. That I guess arriving at full power, maybe there's a lot of situations where that could be a thing, but Needing more <laughs> than that, um, and and not no, that's where I would get. I'm like, I don't know what to do. I I have a setup. I think it's in a, a good spot, but I don't. It's not putting enough power out. It's not lighting enough. And um, so, I, maybe not a mistake itself, because there are cases where you need to be at full power. But that's probably a good indicator that something else in your setup is not quite right. You shouldn't need to go full power in a lot of cases in order to get the the lighting that you want. And so it, and I would end up in those situations like, well, the only thing I can do, it was logical at that point to say, I got to get it closer. Uh, if it's not able to do it at full power here, this is too far away. The, the light's not getting there how I want it. So I'm going to move it closer, which is now helping me to fix one of the other mistakes I had. And mm-hmm. uh, and I, and I could lower it down, but it was like this dance. It was it was uh, not great when I first started doing it because I, I didn't understand how these things all correlated with each other very well. I was making mistakes that made it hard on me, and then I was like, oh, you know, I'd have to be apologizing to the <laughs> to the model or the client. Sorry, sorry. I just gotta. I have to get this set up so it's just right. And I, I, it was to the point where I knew I wanted to try to do that before the client was there. So wherever I was doing the shoot. I would, you know, my wife is almost always with me on the shoots. She loves to do it with me too and help pose people. And, and she enjoys that aspect of it, which is great because I need that help. And, um, and so I'd have her be, you know, sit down in the chair or or wherever, whatever we were shooting and have her be the test subject because she'll be patient and, and let me set it up. And uh, and not waste the time of the client or the people that we were, we were going to actually shoot that day. And that helped, but it's, it's become better because I've learned about these mistakes and I'm not making these mistakes. That's really helping me to zero in on my settings and where I'm going to have the flash set at, um, what power it's going to be at and all of that really so much faster uh, because I... Overcame these common lighting mistakes and it's going to really help um, I, any of you listeners if you have not done any flash now you've got some common mistakes that you can go into it knowing not to make and and that will make the experience a little easier it's it's a lot easier to learn that way and and now you kind of know what to do to try to change it and and I hope it's helpful I hope you, you the the people who haven't wanted to do it because they were, they're intimidated by it. I hope by our talking about it, not only in this episode, but we've talked a lot about flash and other episodes. You can go search for that over at masterphotographypodcast.com and just search for flash and you'll find a bunch of episodes where we've talked about it. I, I hope it encourages you to give it a shot because it really is fun and it really improves your photography, helps you to master it um, by, by figuring out how to, how to use light and flash. Even if you don't do portraits regularly, it's not a core part of your business, it helps you understand light. All right, Brent, mm-hmm. what about your your last one? Tell me what your your mistake was.
1: Yeah, so this was something that, you know, I look on it now and I'm just, you know, just like, oh my goodness, scratching my head, how could I have been so silly? But <laughs> what I want to talk about is that little thing on many hot shoe flashes where you have this little idea that it's a hidden Fresnel lens, basically it's a little plastic piece that is tucked into uh, right next to the, the flash head where, you know, the light goes off and it shines outwards and you can pull it out and then it just kind of flops down in front of the flash. Uh-huh, right. Oftentimes flashes will also have a little white card that can... Uh, be left sticking up. That's kind of a little tiny reflector idea. Um, But I'm talking about the thing that kind of flips down in front of your flash. And it has to do with when I was first learning this and being able to think, okay, I want to bounce the flash off of that ceiling. I want to bounce it off of that wall. I want to aim it directly at the person, that kind of a thing. And so, I, I just, I extended that thing down. I put that thing down and I left it in position. And I was not getting the results that I half expected. And like you were saying, with the power of the flash, it was requiring me to just really push the power of the flash, which then, of course, drains your batteries. You're just not being very efficient. And so it wasn't until I finally learned that what that thing is for, they call it a wide angle adapter or a wide angle uh, something or else for 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 your flash. Because a lot, you know, I don't, Know about I think most of the Yongnuas, they have what they call a zoom head, so they will actually change the position of the light within the head right. so that it somewhat matches the shape of the light going out for whether it's a 100-millimeter lens, a 70-millimeter lens, all the way out to 35 or 24, 28, 24, somewhere in there, depending on the manufacturer for how wide of a coverage that that, that, that flash will provide. And so I was just, you know... Pulling that thing out and putting it on. And that, what that idea does, what that little thing does is it softens the edge. So let's say if I were to have like a 16 millimeter lens, but I had my flash going and it only covers 24 millimeters, well, I'm gonna have a very dark edge because the flash just can't get that wide. Well, what this thing does is it kind of softens the edges and that's pretty much it. So you don't notice it so much but it, in doing so it also takes up a little bit of light and i was just using that all the time and that was just a foolish mistake <laughs> so it's just like put that thing away unless you really need it is what the what the idea is there yeah and the same with like the bounce card it's it's almost yeah. useless it's it's, such, r- it's so tiny it's <laughs> such a
0: tiny little thing it's almost useless it makes me like, why? I'm not sure why they think it's even good, valuable to have it on there. And then some of the more expensive ones, they don't. they it's just not there.
1: Yeah. The only reason, the only way I found it anywhere close to useful is if you want to create a little bit of a catch light in someone's right. eyes, that's it. Right. It just doesn't bounce enough light for what I was doing anyway. If you want to bounce more light, get yourself a LumaQuest uh, bouncer or some of those MagMod type bouncer type items. And go that direction with it, but just that tiny little card—it's—it's it's good for just the slightest amount of a catchlight in someone's eyes, and that's pretty much it. Right. Okay. Well, there you
0: go. There's there's the common mistakes that we thought of. Um, hopefully, those are some common mistakes that all of you who are more experienced with flash, like, yep, I've, I've heard those. I've gone through those myself. You're, yes, and you're you're not in your head like, oh yeah, I remember doing that. Um, what have we forgotten, though? That's that's what I'd like to get. Yeah. To. I, I want to engage the photograph the master photography community. Go on the Facebook page when we post the uh, the episode. I want you to comment there on the things we've forgotten. What mistakes have you made with lighting that we didn't cover in the episode? And let's let's go and. And talk about those so that those who are less experienced can learn without having to go through that painful (laughs) experience of the mistakes that were made. Like I said, I wish I had an episode like this that I had had when I was getting into it so that... I didn't have to go through months and months of shooting yeah. and, f- and experimenting with the flash to figure it out, especially because you don't know what to change. As, as I was setting it up, it's not like exposure where it's, there's a little bit more direction. You can kind of see what to do as you're, as you're working on the exposure triangle and, and figuring out how to use your camera that way. With this, it's like, where do I put the light? There's, it, it, there's infinite possibilities. So how do I know where to even put it? How do I know what flat power to put it at? And, and it was like this directionless, guideless sort of experimentation that took forever for me to get through. And I'm still battling and I still I still have to do a lot of experimentation uh, and maybe that's that's the way it is for everyone I don't know but um but I, I wish I had this to to guide me and I, I hope that's gonna provide that for for a lot of people so that they can get that
1: and and a good point I think you made too it's really about maybe someone else can benefit I think they might still go through it it's just Boy, howdy! I hope we can help them go through it a lot more quickly, right, right, <laughs> than, right, than what you did. You know, I respect the struggle and all that, but you know, if there's any way that we can help someone move past that more quickly, that's why we're here. Well, we all learn differently. Some yeah. some learn by experience and not
0: by by being told, and others learn <laughs> just fine by being told. So. Um, yes, yeah, I, hopefully it's going to help people and I, we'd love the help from the, the more experienced folks that they, they may not have made it this far into the episode, but, and, and so maybe I'll, I'll post that when I, when I post the link in the, there you go, in the Facebook group to have have more experienced folks share their, their information and, and the things that they made mistakes on. Absolutely. All right.
1: doodads of the week, Brent, what do
0: you have for us?
1: Yeah, so it looks like Think Tank Photo just released uh, some products that they joined together with SKB Hard Cases. And so these are kind of like a competition for Pelican cases, uh, but they're by Think Tank Photo and SKB. So they're both selling them on their own on their own uh, websites. But these look like really when I got that email announcing these items, I was like, oh, boy, this, you know, Take more of my money kind of an idea because, um, I like to have something in some cases. I like to have something that I know I can, uh, just absolutely understand is completely secure. You know, it can bang around and whatever, you know, it might jostle inside and that could damage something still. But as far as just from the outside influence, you know, it's going to be secure. And another thing I like to do with my, uh, Pelican case and in, in this regard might be an SKB case kind of an idea. If I'm traveling somewhere in the car, I'll actually uh, take a bicycle cable lock and lock that Pelican case to the car inside the trunk. So if they were to take that tiny little lock and break into my trunk, they're going to have a whole lot more to do to get away with my camera and computer gear. So uh-huh. um, so that's why, another reason why I really like these style of cases. It's, a, it's not my everyday case by any means, but there's some times where I'm just like, I want that extra security and I'm going to go for that. And and so I've got <clears throat> a little bit of uh, some different sizes and some Pelicans, but they don't have the camera gear inserts like these do. And so that's why it's, it's really an, a, a, exciting for me. Cool. Very, very good suggestion. How, do you know what they run? Not at the top of my head, but I'm sure they're not cheap. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Like so many things in photography, if they're worth having, they're not cheap. Yeah, the tiniest one actually is about $110. Uh, That looks like it holds a standard DSLR and three lenses, but not a very long lens for sure. Uh, So $110 for something like that, not too shabby. The one that I would probably get myself is going to be in the neighborhood of maybe 200 or so because I would want it to also hold my computer uh, since I would want everything to be secure in the trunk. That would be a a primary use case. But then of course, whether I, you know, I'm taking it into the hotel or whatever uh, that, that could be, that could be beneficial.
0: Perfect. All right. My doodad's going to build off of the last one that I shared because I just barely got the Godox 8200 flashes. I've, I've upgraded my flashes. Kind of interesting, we're talking about them today. So the AD 200s are are way more money. And so it took me a long time to, you know, get the make it uh, I, I saved up Amazon points, is what I did, and finally Ooh. had enough Amazon points to buy three of them. And then you had I had to get the controller too. So my I love my young newer controller. That thing works beautifully. I love it. It's solid. Uh, very inexpensive along with the flashes. It's a really good setup, and I'm probably going to continue using them in in a lot of situations. Uh, I may set them up as slaves now so that they'll fire when the Godox fires. But I had to get a new controller because it's a different manufacturer, and that that just doesn't work well to to try to mix manufacturers on the controller versus the flashes. And so uh, the Godox X-Pro flash controller is my doodad of the week. It's 70 bucks, and it does a very good job too. I kind of liked the the way the Young Nuo... Maybe it's just because I'm so used to it. I've shot with it for so long that uh, I was very used to the user interface and and the buttons and and how you used the the Young Nuo brand. And the Godox is a little different way of approaching the same problem that I I didn't find I liked nearly as much. But man, it works great. It's flawless. It, It works really, really well. Um, it has some more advanced features than the Yongnuo stuff. So I have TTL now. I'm not sure I'm really going to use TTL because I like having full control over my flashes. But some things like uh, high-speed sync, I do want to play with that. And Absolutely. It, and it was cool that uh, when you had it in high-speed sync mode, it actually limits your shutter speed. So on my Canon camera... I can't go over the shutter or sorry, the non high speed sync. Sorry. When it's not high speed sync, it won't let you take the shutter speed too fast for the flashes, which is cool. I didn't know that it would do that. Um, I I suppose it probably does that on Canon stuff, but I was kind of surprised to see that it did that when it wasn't Canon branded and uh, the Godox flash controller talked to the camera just great and, uh, and made that work. So pretty cool stuff.
1: That very, cool.
0: very uh, highly recommended. It's yes, it's not as cheap, <laughs> it's not as inexpensive. I don't I want to avoid cheap because the young newest stuff is very effective and cheap kind of indi- you know, is, is has a negative connotation like this thing's going to fall apart in a week. And that's they're not built as well as some other stuff, but they're going to hold up. I've had them for years now and, and they're doing great. So, uh, they're inexpensive. The young newest stuff, the Godox, is definitely way more expensive. But it has some advanced features, and mostly it's the the recycle times and the power output that I was after. I I needed more flexibility on that, and uh, so that's why I wanted them. So that is my doodad of the week. All right few reminders for you as we get out of this episode. This is the part everyone just fast forwards through. They don't, they don't <laughs> listen to this part. But, but <laughs> for those of you that have actually stuck around, uh, you can find everything about the show over at masterphotographypodcast.com. Show notes, we, the show notes for this will have the links we've talked about. We'll make sure a link to the photo that we talked about from Petapixel is out there. Their Facebook group, you can search Master Photography Podcast and ask to join in that. We do have. You do have to ask to join because we want to keep it to listeners only only. So we, you do have to answer a question in order to get accepted into the group. You have to name a host. So Brent will work and Jeff will work. And we'll let you write in as long as you provide the name of a host. We have to... I I know... I mean, all of us take turns or we'll go in there and, and look at the review of people who have asked to join. And I know about half or more have nobody listed as a host. And I... Unfortunately, I just can't let them in because I... It's the bar to make it so that we keep the the bots and the spammers out of it. So go ask to join that group. It's a great place that we're having a a lot of conversation all the time. Uh, You can find my work over at jsharmanphotos.com. There'll be links in the show notes. Uh, Photo Taco Podcast, remind you about that. The the monthly episode over there, diving into deep technical detail on a lot of things related to photography. And you can find my links in the show notes too, to uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Brent, where can people find you?
1: Yeah, it's brentbergherm.com is my personal website where I've got some blog posts there, just whether it's about travel photography, uh, you know, the landscape stuff, what have you. I've got my workshop info looking at Chile and Croatia this summer, and I'm knocking around a few other items for something uh, more on the domestic side of things. So I'll, that's where I'll announce it too, is what, uh, out there on the website. And then I've got some Facebook groups. So just search my name and you'll find a group or two uh, associated there. And then, of course, the latitude dot com. And then also uh, listen a little more in the future for some details. But in April, I'm going to be in San Francisco and I'll do a meetup. So oh, good. Uh, that's just going to be right before tax day and looking to do a <laughs> meetup right down there in San Francisco. Uh, potentially driving up to maybe an hour, two at the very most from downtown. So, I'm going to hold off my research until I've got some time coming up here at Christmas, and then I'll figure it all out, and then I'll be really talking about it. But I just want to give you a heads up. If uh, middle of April uh, works out for you and you're in the area, we might be able to just go out and shoot for an evening, and that would be a lot of fun. What area is this? San Francisco, California. San Francisco, okay. I have a conference right there. On the waterfront somewhere, uh, I forget exactly where it's at. But anyway, uh, it's literally right on the on the Golden Gate uh, area. And then um, since I'm renting a car, I'm going to be able to have lots of flexibility. Uh, potentially looking to get up uh, just north of there is, um, what is it, Point Reyes or wherever it is, uh, Maybe going down south, I haven't th- thought of anything just yet as far as finality. I'm just saying, hey, I'm heading out there and I just want you to potentially be thinking along those lines yourself. Very good. I may have some meetup, a, a meetup
0: that I might run in January or February in Phoenix. So, Oh, very nice. So uh, I'll, I'll see. We'll see if I, how that works out. But I'm, I know I'm going to be spending a little bit of time in Phoenix in, in January and February. So maybe I'll, I'll drag my camera along. One of any,
1: season, any season, Phoenix is gorgeous. Yeah, so and, I, and, and that know. time of year,
0: it's nice and warm still and there's yeah. beautiful sunsets and some beautiful desert scenes there. So, it, it's a fun place to shoot. I, I We shot there at the photography retreat a couple of years back and mm-hmm, it was great. Mm-hmm. And so, I'll, I'll let people know if I decide to do that. In fact, if if you're interested in meeting up in Phoenix, you can you now drop me a message either in Facebook or Twitter. And uh, if I have a lot of people interested, then... That will help me make sure it happens.
1: <laughs> yeah, the good, good point. And you can drop me a note too for, for April in San Francisco. Uh, feel free to drop me a note as well. So all like,
0: you know, 10% of the audience that stuck through to the end <laughs> <laughs> to hear that. Well, it's worth it. Good. Yep. All right. Yeah, they'll, they'll learn. They got to stick through to the end. That's right. All right. Well, we're so glad that uh, those of you who are still listening stuck through all the way to the episode and uh, we will see you again in another seven days.